Again, people are traveling, people have people in town and going to visit other, other families and sometimes visiting other congregations to be around grandparents and parents. And so let's keep them all in our prayers as many of them are traveling and uh, with loved ones. And let's also uh, just keep in mind uh, that this is the time of year that we're to be thankful and, uh, uh, for so many things. But if you were here on uh, Wednesday uh, when we were doing our Thanksgiving uh, you know, Devo and we had uh, various men in the congregation speak, I want us to kind of remember their words. Uh, not my devotion, but the men who spoke after me. Because today's lesson, if you look on the screen behind me, I talk, it's, it's going to be on unity, right? It's going to be on unity, but in the form of community. Because if you noticed what uh, Pat Dance had to say, and Pat Van Horn had to say, and Matt Perry had to say, and uh, Jacob had to say, you could see that even in times of tragedy, even in times of, of, of struggle, even in some of the storms of life, you've seen how God's people, the church, a community of believers, rally around one another. And so I want us to think about unity this morning, not only why it's important, but also how we could keep the unity in the congregation. What are some things that could be a hindrance to unity? What are some things that could actually uh, you know, benefit uh, the unity and the harmony that we're supposed to have? And so uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch the Wednesday uh, Devo or service or study, whatever you want to call it, uh, I would encourage you to go on uh, onto YouTube or go onto our, uh, our, our Lincoln Park Church of Christ uh, webpage, uh, and it's on there. And I tell you what, it, it, you know, there, you know, people told me we didn't know we were going to need tissue tonight. And so go back and listen to what uh, uh, this, this, this next generation of leaders in our congregation, these men, had to say about what the church meant to them and how thankful they were for this congregation here at Lincoln Park for the love that has been bestowed upon them by so many people at various times in their life and various times in their lives. And then you'll understand this lesson this morning a little bit more. And so as we think about this lesson here this morning on unity and unity within a congregation, did God not uh, intend for us to live and love and fellowship with one another? If you read the scriptures, doesn't it often talk about living uh, uh, in fellowship and in love with one another? In love in the sense of our uh, agape type of love, that sacrificial type of love? I mean, this was his original plan since the Garden of Eden. I mean, go back and you remember what it says in, Gal in, uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Remember what God said about Adam. He says, it's not good that man should be alone, and I will make a helpmate for him. It's, he says this, brethren, because when you look at Genesis chapter 2, immediately the application there is marriage. But we also know that he created a helpmate for him, somebody that uh, the first example that we have of marriage and family in the scriptures is with Adam and Eve and their family. But the church was the ultimate goal and the purpose that God had had in mind. And I know this because if you go back and you study out the, the letter to the people of, the, of, of Ephesus, and you look at the, the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 3 and chapter 5, it's literally going to talk about how the church was the ultimate goal that God had in mind. And we know that is what he had in mind because God wanted a community of, of, of believers who love to exist for him to fellowship with, to him to walk in their existence. And that was supposed to be the Garden of Eden. But Satan had to come in and spoil it, and then mankind had to give in to temptation and eat of the forbidden fruit, and we know the rest of the story. And so God had initially created the garden to be that community of love, 
that community that, that, that is together, that have all things in common, that everybody's working towards the common goal with love and, and, and fellowship with one another. And now we see the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And when you look at the Old and New Testament, the story of the Bible is God's work in rebuilding that community. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, we start to see the story of the seed line and where it, was going to be, uh, where it was going to begin. And so God's work is rebuilding that community through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ that God had finished the work that he began when he created the Garden of Eden. Because the new Garden of Eden, so to speak, the spiritual Garden of Eden, is now going to reside in the body of the church through Christ Jesus. And I know this because that's what Ephesians chapter 2 is actually telling us in verses 16 through 22. You know, the church is the fellowship. It's the community of humanity and God in one body through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. What many in the world don't understand, and what even some Christians, those who in Christendom, those who consider themselves Christians, and I use air quotes because many of them simply just don't know what the scriptures teach, they don't understand that this community of love and fellowship, it's exclusive. And that God doesn't extend fellowship to mankind be, uh, in any other way than through his body. If you wish to be back in relationship with God, if you wish to have your sins forgiven, if you wish to enter in to, into the heavenly realm someday at the end of your earthly life, then you have to go through the door. And that door is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. You cannot get to the Father except through Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, then the world will know you love me if you're my disciples and you do what I say, if you keep my commandments. God does not extend fellowship to, to, the, to mankind outside of the body of Christ. And there are too many people who don't understand how to get into the body of Christ. What it means and how important baptism is. How important the, the, the unity and the fellowship of the church, the harmony of the church actually is. I want you to consider this next passage in Ephesians. When you look at Ephesians chapter 2. Jim, my clicker's not going. So if you could go to the next slide for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. Notice what it says on the screen behind me. In whom the whole building is being fitted together. Brethren, when I read this passage, think about it. The church is where God dwells in his people today. And I know that because listen to what Paul says in Ephesus, uh, to the people of uh, Ephesus. In whom the whole body, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also, notice the words, are being built together into the dwelling of God and the Spirit. You are being built together in the dwelling of God and the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It means that God lives with his people, the church, and the body of Christ for which, God, uh, which Christ died and shed his blood, and he will not dwell in any other. There is no other place that you can enter into the dwelling of God except through Christ Jesus. But you have to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And you make Jesus the Lord of your life by obeying all that he has commanded us. You guys remember what I always talk about in John chapter 12 because it is so crucial to our understanding? You think about John chapter 12. Jesus said, I did exactly as the Father has commanded me because I know his words contain eternal life. He says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. 
But you have words that judge you, and the words that judge you in the last day are my words. But they're not my words. I received them from the Father, and I speak them exactly as he has commanded me. You learn about that in John chapter 12, 46 through about 50. And so, brethren, we look at this. God had manifested himself through Jesus Christ, and Jesus' bride is the church. And so God, being the groom, the bride, the church... Uh, is, being, is how we come into fellowship with God in that, in, that, in that relationship, that community, that harmony of love. It's God's community of love that he intended to be in the Garden of Eden, but because Satan spoiled it and mankind gave into our sin, and mankind gave into sin, it destroyed it. So God had to create another way. But he wasn't going to create a physical kingdom. He was going to create a spiritual kingdom. He wasn't creating a physical garden. He was essentially creating a spiritual garden. And so we understand, brethren, that God lives in and through his people. And his people are called the church, the body of Christ for which God, through Christ Jesus, had shed his blood. And he will not dwell in any other. You cannot find relationship with God anywhere else outside of the body of Christ. Brethren, mankind has a need and always has had a need to be loved. Amen? Doesn't it feel good to love and to be loved? And doesn't it feel good to actually do good things for those that you love? And don't you want to be in, 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 in a, you guys ever hear the term marital bliss? Well, think about marital bliss with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because God is the groom, the church is the bride. In order to have that marital bliss, we need to sacrifice on behalf of the marriage. We need to sacrifice on behalf of the church, the kingdom. And so, brethren, mankind, even though we've always had this need to love and be loved, God extends that love to us through his son. Given that the church, brethren, is the unique community of love in which God dwells, we need to love, but we also need to participate in the church. There are too many Christians who are walking away from God because life gets difficult, and they decide to just walk away because, well, I'm having trouble in the home. I'm having trouble in the marriage. I'm having trouble with my kids. I'm having trouble with my career. I'm having trouble with fill in the blank. And so the first thing they try to do is not get closer to God and his people through whom you're going to find commonality with, whom you're going to find love with, who you're going to find uh, 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 fellowship with. Instead, the first thing we usually cut out is God. The first thing we usually cut out is the church and whom God uses to, to bring about his providential care. The first century miracles are dead and gone. They're not happening anymore. God had said in, uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that prophecy, eventually this is going to come to an end. These miracles and the speaking in tongues, these are going to come to an end when the perfect comes. And that perfect has come in James chapter 1 and verse 25. And we know it's the perfect law, the law of liberty, the New Testament. And so God speaks to his people now through the New Testament. He doesn't have the dreams and the visions and the things like we hear about in Scripture today. There are no more prophets coming because God has revealed to us all that we need to know him, to love him, and to be in relationship with him. But brethren, we have to choose to want to be in that relationship. And so when life gets tough, the first thing that I want you to do is to turn inward to the body of Christ. Don't, don't turn away from the body of Christ. Turn to the body of Christ because that's where you're going to find God's love. 
That's where you're going to find people who are hopefully living sacrificially, meaning that it's not about me. What can I do for you? And vice versa. It should be a, a, a revolving door of us helping and loving and sacrificing on behalf of one another. So, for example, like in some of the examples that were given, like I remember Matt when he was given that the, the, the great, really, I guess you could call it testimony that he gave uh, on Wednesday night. And even though there was so much pain and suffering and sorrow and tragedy, that years later he could look back and see that maybe not at the moment, but years later he could look back and see how God working through the church to, to bring about his welfare, to care for him and to show him the, to show the love of God through the church. Pat was talking about the same thing when his mom was going through something difficult and how people in the church were without even uh, asking for it were, were coming and showing their love to the family. Patrick was talking about, Van Horn was talking about how so many people have been instrumental in his life in the church and there's so many stories that he could give of what the church means to him. Jacob was talking about how, the, uh, how, how when um, his mother had passed away that his mother had passed away, and then who shows up? Even though he hasn't been around in a while, who shows up? The church. And the church shows up, and they show him the love, and he remembered where he wanted to be. And he came back to the Lord. And he came back to the Lord, and he brought his children and his wife. And now you can see the growth that is happening in that beautiful family. Brethren, it all happens because they remembered, and they knew who they were as children of God, and they've seen the love of God. As young adult men with their own families now, they see how God has worked through them and in them through the church. And brethren, that is why the unity of the church is so very precious, and it's so very important. And so we have to remember that there is no other place in the world where this unique mix of love, community, fellowship, and unity with God and his people exist because we live in a world brethren that is oftentimes self-centered would you would you agree that many people in the world are self-centered there are many people in the church i'm here to unfortunately say are self-centered why because they haven't learned to understand that humility means that you have to think of others more than you think of yourself and we have scripture that shows that jesus christ had done that for us look at this next passage of scripture in ephesians chapter 4 in verse 1 through 3. Brethren, God gives Christians some important instructions here. In Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with which you have been called. With what? He says, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. What does it say? Showing tolerance for one another in love. It says, being diligent to preserve the unity the harmony of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Who's Paul talking to here? He's talking, obviously, to the people of Ephesus, but is he talking to the world? No, he's talking to the church. He's saying that in the church we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling with humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance with each other, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, just as Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, have shown tolerance to all of us as we were sinners in need of a Savior. We could see God's humility, His patience, His love, His forbearance in dealing with each and every one of us. So brethren, 
Paul is giving those instructions to the church. And in order to accomplish unity, in order to accomplish harmony, we need to avoid the things that prevent unity. And we need to embrace, we need to pursue the things that create harmony, that promote unity within the congregation. And so, brethren, I think of Psalm 133. You don't have to turn there. But in Psalm 133, David described uh, that brethren that were dwelling together, uh, in verse 1, he was talking about unity. He says it's good and pleasant. He says in verse 2 that it's precious. He says in verse 3 that it is a blessing from God. And then you fast forward from Psalm 133 to the New Testament era, and you look at how Jesus in John chapter 17, just before his death, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed for harmony. He prayed for unity amongst the believers. In verse 11, he prayed for unity amongst the apostles, his disciples. And in verse 20 and 21, he prayed for all of the rest of those who would believe in him. He prayed for all of his followers to have what? To have unity, for there to be harmony amongst one another, that everything that you do, you do uh, with a steadfast purpose, walking in, the, in, a, in a manner worthy of the calling, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, with humility and patience, brethren, and love. You think about that. You think about, I wonder how many of us, if we just, just left here today, and we think about our faith. We think about our faith going all the way back to the beginning, wherever it started. And I wonder if you just really stopped and thought about each and every time that no matter what was going on in your life, whether it was a celebration or whether it was uh, a, a shoulder to cry on, how many times has the church been there for you? And when I say the church, it could be one individual. Because are we not all individual members of the church? And where we are, the church is. It's not this building. And so how many times has the church, individual members, have come and have been there for you? To be a shoulder to cry on. To be somebody to, to, to cheer alongside. To be somebody that is going to help you through in the good times and in the bad. Brethren, we think about the scriptures here this morning. And the kind of unity, that kind of unity that you can only find in the church, you can only find by those who submit to the will of God, it will have a positive impact. And it begins with holiness. That positive impact begins with holiness because we no longer look into ourselves, but we look outwardly. And we no longer uh, ask what, I, what my desires are, but we look to, to understand what the will of God is, and we look to implement that in our very lives. And when we dwell in harmony, when we dwell in unity, we can fulfill God's plan for us. Well, what is God's plan for us? That we could go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. To do all that God has commanded them as we learn in Matthew 28. That's why they call it the Great Commission. Brethren, dwelling in harmony. Dwelling in harmony sets us apart in order to understand God's will, in order to do our calling, in order to perform the calling that God has called us to do. Unity also leads to spiritual growth. It also leads to fruitfulness. Think about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says, but speaking the truth in love, what does it say? We are to grow up in all aspects into him who, has, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, being fitted and held together with, with every joint 
uh, supplies, according to the uh, proper working of each individual part, it causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So brethren, you think about that. How are we supposed to have that steadfast love for one another, that harmony, that fellowship, that unity that God desires for his people to have, that God prayed for before his death in John chapter 17? It starts with us understanding who we are in Christ. And it starts with that transformational process we often talk about from John chapter tw or, uh, Romans chapter 12. We are to grow up in all specs. In, in all aspects, and that causes spiritual growth. And as you have spiritual growth, you're going to be fruitful. What does that mean? It means you're going to be productive. Productive in the work and the calling that God has called of you. And so, brethren, when the body, the church, is properly working properly, each member is, is doing its part. And as each member does, it, does its part, it's going to grow and it's going to build upon itself. And it's going, the love of God is going to be a shining light to all those who come in contact with it. And that produces productivity. Brethren, the New Testament letters, they, when you study out the New Testament letters, you could see the, the comm they commanded harmony. They commanded unity amongst the followers of Christ. You think of Romans 15. In Romans chapter 15, in verse 5 and 6, it says, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be, what does it say? Of the same mind, harmony, unity, of the same mind with one another, not of the world, but of the church, and those who are in the body of Christ, according to Christ, so that with one accord, with one voice, you may glorify the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see a common theme here this morning? Do you see how important harmony and unity is in the church? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, the Apostle Paul, he said to the people of Philippi, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and, and see you or whether I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, that you are striving together with one mind, one faith for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So brethren, what can we know what can we know from this lesson this morning? We know how desperately God wants harmony and unity within the body of Christ, his bride. He doesn't just want it, he commands it. And we need to understand that it's for our benefit. Everything that the Lord does is for our benefit. So we understand that God wants harmony, he wants unity within the church. But how can, it be re how can we retain it? How can, we, how can we remain united in a world that is so divisive? How can we remain united in a world and, and even in a church that can't always get along? In a church where there's constantly splits and, and people going their own separate ways. You guys have heard of the Reformation movement. You've heard of the Restoration movement. And why was that? Because men couldn't agree with what God had wanted. And so they would continuously look to change all that God had required of them. And they were constantly, you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Romans uh, 16 and 17. You look at it, and what was it talking about? It was talking about those Christians who were accumulate teachers in accordance to their own desires, and doing what? Looking to draw people away from God. And after themselves, to follow after themselves. You go and you look at the first three chapters of, first, of, of Corinthians. And in, in the first Corinthians, in the first three chapters, you could see how people started were following after men and not following after God. 
And so, brethren, for unity and the harmony of the church to remain and to be effective, every single member needs to display these things. It starts with humility. Then it goes to gentleness, patience, love, zeal, passion. Why does it begin with that? Well, let's break it down. Humility. Humility has to do with not thinking of yourself as better than others. How many people do you know that think better of themselves than others? You see, humility, brethren, and there is such a thing as false humility, which seeks to draw attention to yourself. You pretend to be humble, but yet you're really looking for, uh, to, to, to really drink, draw people to you for your own attention. And so there's false humility, but true humility is rooted in a right type of thinking towards God. True humility is a right type of thinking towards others. It's that agape love, that sacrificial love that's where, that Jesus is talking about when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. Right? Anybody can love those who love them, but how much harder it is to love those who hate you, love those who want to persecute you. Jesus is saying that that's why I went to the cross. Despite the attitudes of man, despite the persecution, I did it for them anyways. It wasn't just for the righteous that I went to the cross. I went to the cross who cursed my name, and I also went to the cross for those who hate me in hopes that they will repent of the sin in their lives, hope that they will repent of this attitude. So how, to, how do we remain unified as a body of Christ? It begins and ends with humility, gentleness, patience, love, and zeal. Brethren, if, you're, if your world revolves around you, then you're a proudful, prideful individual. If your world revolves around you and you're a prideful individual, that is the quickest pathway to destroy unity. If you want to destroy the unity of the church, be prideful. Because God has not called us to be prideful. He has called us to, to, to humility. How do I know this? Because instead... We are to, instead of being prideful, we are to have the mindset that Christ had. Well, what was that mindset? Well, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, it tells us the mindset. And Jesus says, even though that he was God in the flesh, the, the Paul tells us, even though Jesus was God in the flesh, it says he humbled himself, taking on flesh, becoming human, and, 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 and giving up the power and the majesty he had before the foundation of the world. He became a servant, and he even went to the cross to die for those who hate him, to those who are sinning against him. Brethren, that's humility. That's true humbleness. Never forget that God opposes the proud, but he will definitely exalt the humble. Next, we get to gentleness. If you want to protect the unity of the church, you want to protect the harmony of the church, you have to have gentleness. It has to do with considering others and having a willingness to forfeit your own rights. How many people leave a congregation because they don't get what they want? How many people have created division in the church because they don't get their way? Brethren, humility and gentleness are crucial to defending the unity and the harmony of the church. Today, way too many people only think about themselves. And sadly, these attitudes have crept into the church, and it is quickly destroying the unity that God had so desperately prayed for. When he was praying to the Father for all the future uh, people who would believe in him, when he was praying for his disciples and all those who believe in him, he prayed for unity, that they'd be of one mind, steadfast, and worthy of, his call, worthy of their calling. Next, you need to have patience if you want to protect the unity of the church. 
Why is patience so important? Well, it tells us why it's important in 1 Timothy 1.16. But we have to understand, brethren, that patience is, it has to do with tolerating others. Tolerating their shortcomings. Tolerating their faults and their weaknesses, even their failures. How patient are you when somebody disagrees with you? Think about that. How patient are you when somebody disagrees with you? How well do you do with those who think differently than you? You see, the Lord had been patient with us, so let us be patient with others. Brethren, if, if, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us and fills us, then we must be patient. There's a reason why in Galatians 5 it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. And next we get to love. Love, brethren. When it comes to love, God has displayed love and defined what love looks like when he went to the cross to die for all those who are sinners, which means he went to the cross for all mankind. Love, brethren, is the soil in which we are established and which the church of Christ will grow. We learn about this in Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 5. And the spirit of, if the Spirit of Christ is to dwell in, in, in the love that we have towards others, we, he goes to talk about that in Galatians chapter 5. Love is so very crucial. Agape type of love is so very crucial to the growth and to the fulfillment that God has called us to, to unity. Brethren, for our love, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to show that, that we are God's disciples by loving one another. And lastly, I'm going to close it out with zeal. Passion. We need to have passion. When it comes to passion, we are to be zealously maintaining the unity of the Spirit, the Scriptures tell us. We are called to maintain the, harmon the harmony of the church enthusiastically. We are to defend it at all costs. Because when you begin to lose the harmony, when the church becomes to become disunified, then you start to see the fractures. You see the divisions. You see the factions. You see the splits. And it doesn't take long before the pride of those individuals destroys the church and destroys the congregation that so many had worked hard to build up. And so brethren, listening to those stories that the men told on Wednesday evening, listening to what the church meant to them is why we have to work so, hard, so diligently to protect the unity of this congregation to, and to, to display the love of this congregation that's willing to uh, put the needs of others first, where you're willing to sacrifice, while you're willing to do all that God has called you to do. Why? Because you know he first did it for us. And so, brethren, we do the same for those of the Lord. We are called to maintain this harmony. So ask yourself, are you genuinely passionate in fighting for the church's unity? Or are you zealous in fighting for your own rights, your own privileges, your own preferences? Which is your attitude? Is it more about me or is it more about the church? Only you can answer that question. You may be tempted to think that global pandemics, failed presidential elections, civil unrest and threats are threats to the church's unity. But I'm here to tell you that they're not. Brethren, pandemics, elections, and civil, uh, civil unrest, they're opportunities. Opportunities to pr promote Christ-like qualities, such as humility and gentleness, patience and love and zeal that you have for God. It's an, those are opportunities not to uh, get down in the dumps, because of all the sin that you see in the world, not to get down in the dumps because of all the civil unrest, because of pandemics or failed elections, because an election may have not gone your way. Those are opportunities to show your Christ-like love and spirit to those in the world through humility and gentleness and patience with love and zeal. 
Brethren, the result of church unity will be visible, a visible peace, a peace that binds people together and a peace and something that doesn't tear people apart. Brethren, choose to be something that brings people together and not something that tears them apart. And always avoid things that prevent unity and pursue everything that promotes the harmony of the Lord's church, that promotes the agape love, that love that Christ displayed by going to the cross. You see, brethren, I wanted to touch on unity and harmony and why it's so very important. Because if Lincoln Park didn't have generations of that type of harmony and that type of unity and that type of love and that type of utility, uh, humility, then, brethren, they probably wouldn't have heard the stories that you heard on Wednesday night. But these young children, these young men as boys grew up in a congregation that loved them, that provided for them, that cared for them, as, as the providential hand of God was working in their very lives, despite the tragedies, despite the illnesses, despite the medical diagnoses. You've seen how the church, when it's unified, is the most precious thing. And that, brethren, that everybody's going to want to be a part of it. But it, it depends on each and every one of us being willing to shine the light to fully give ourselves over to not only the work of the church, but to all that God requires of us. If you're hearing this message today and you wish to be a part of it, but you're not a child of God, you can be baptized today. The baptistry is ready. You could go down into that water. You could uh, come back up and be washed and become a new creation. Have your sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God will add you to the church. You have that opportunity today. Maybe you've been away from the church for a while. Maybe you've been away from the Lord for a while. And you want to ask for the, the, the congregation for prayers. You want to ask them for strength. Then, brethren, you have that opportunity to do that as well. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.